Welcome to the Mary Shannon Bible Study with speaker, leader, and acclaimed Bible teacher, Mary Shannon. Every week, she'll dive deep into scripture using her unique blend of laugh-out-loud humor and hitting-you-between-the-eyes truth that we all need. So put on your big girl pants, because here we go. All right, you ready? Do you remember where we've been? Because it's been a big old break. All right? Uh, are your memories what they used to be? Well, mine's not. I can't, I can't find words. I, I sit there and do like charades trying to figure out a word, you know, or uh, I go in a room and I think, what the heck am I standing in this room for? I came in here with a purpose and I have no idea. I remember one time I saw Bill Cosby's act and he says that your memory's in your butt and I laughed so hard because I thought that is so true. You go in a room, you have no idea why you're there. You're like, why am I standing here? I know I came in here. And then you go all the way back down the stairs and you sit down on the couch. And the minute you sit on the couch and you hit your butt, your butt remembers why you went in that room. And you had to get up and go upstairs and go back in that room again. And so I don't know about our memories. So I thought, let's just remind ourselves. We know, right, the outline. We know the big picture. Um, So that will help you in the future to even go back and review and study. So let's review that together, right? What's the mission statement in John? Ah, John 20, 31, right? These things I have written that you may know Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you might have life in his name, all right? So that was like an open book test right there. Uh, Then we have John chapter one that had all the themes, and I'm sure you have a theme card stuck in your John chapter one, where you wrote down all the themes of the book. He lets us know. I mean, it's Chuck, it's full of all of the themes um, that he is going to be addressing for who Jesus is. And then we went into uh, four portraits, right, that were bookend by what location? (laughs) Cana. All right, starts in Cana, and at the end of those four, you'll see that he's back in Cana, so it's bookended. And what are the, they're four basically Jewish institutions, and what are they? Number one, wedding, then a temple incident, right? Something happened about the temple, and then the rabbi, and then the well, right? All of those are like deep Jewish uh, institutions, um, to the people. So there were four of those portraits, and he is telling about himself uh, through those. In many ways, these things are broken, and he is the completion of those things. Uh, then we have the next four portraits, and they are um, holy days or um, festivals, holidays, right? Do you remember the first? And by the way, they're bookended by Solomon's portico, Okay. What's the first one? Sabbath, working on the Sabbath. Passover, Feast of Tabernacles, and Hanukkah, or the Feast of Lights. Yes. I love your enthusiasm. See, you're my kind of student. If you're going to mess up, mess up big. Because you won't, I mean, really, you, you'll remember it, the correction that you got it wrong. I mean, it's not like I'm going to jump down and slap you today because you said Feast of Booths. I used to uh, say that to high schoolers all the time. I mean, really, it's not life and death. Just speak up. 
If you get it wrong, I'm going to tell you the right answer and we're going to move on. But this tension of silence is making me insane, right? Like lighten up, you know. Uh, I'm not going to slap you. I'm not going to hurt you. I might want to slap you for something else, but it won't be that you didn't have the answer to, you know, this question. So it's, it ought to be fun, us asking questions and talking and getting answers, right? So those are the four. Now, and man, did he ever tell them who he was through all of those things. He literally fulfilled all the symbolism of what they do, and he is trying to tell them what? I am that one. I am the Christ. I am God. You are looking at me. I am the bread from heaven. I am the living water. I am the light of the world, right? All of these things. He's like, you're looking at me. I and the Father are one. The Father is in me, and I am in the Father, right? I mean, it was intense. Go back and read your notes. Go back and watch the videos. We could literally read John every day as a reminder. of He did not mince words. He told them exactly who he was. And by the way, they received the message. We know that because they tried to kill him. Right? So they are accusing him of blasphemy because they say, you are a man attempting to be God. And in our last time together, uh, we were talking about that, no, he was actually trying to make them understand, no, you got it wrong. I am God. I have become man for you to pay the debt so that you could have life. And so now we enter John chapter 11, which is pivotal because it is the sign that will change all things. It's about to change the course, the direction, because this is going to be the final thing that pushes us into the rest of John, which is about his death, the hour. And so this is a very important uh, chapter, and I think we could spend all kinds of time I'm going to show you some personal things in it. I'm going to show you some theological things in it. But I've kept it pretty simple. But I think you could really write down some questions as I ask them. And you could really allow this chapter to be pivotal in your life as well. All right? So we're just going to walk through it. I'm going to start. And I'm just going to read kind of the first section. I'm going to read John 11, 1 through 16. And then we're going to go back and talk about um, some of the things says, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. One thing I want to tell you, it's not my notes, but you need to know is there's two Bethanies. All right? Because look up um, right before this chapter. Um, it, is, it talks about how he went again across the Jordan to a place where John had been baptizing at first, and he remained, and many came to him. He is also in the area of a place called Bethany. But this is the Bethany that is like what I call a little suburb of Jerusalem, okay, where um, Mary and Martha and Lazarus live. So very often when it says that he went up to the Mount of Olives, if he had kept going, he could spend the night with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, which he did often, all right? So now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, 
He whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, and let us go to, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us, go, let us also go that we may die with him. Oh my goodness, there's so much perplexing in this section. Are you perplexed? Or you just read through it? See, the problem is with this story, is that we read through it already knowing the end. What you have to do is go back and do your best to wipe out your knowledge and read it afresh. Because if we already know the end, I think we could be really judgmental to the people that are hearing his words that don't. And so that's what we're gonna attempt to do a little bit. Um, so it's a certain family um, and they are described and they are named. And I find it interesting that Mary is described by a certain story, the anointing of Jesus with the expensive ointment. And that must have been a really big deal because he is talking about it before he even uses it in the narrative. He's not even gonna use it until chapter 12. But he refers to her by that because the whole world knows the story. And if he can say that story, they're gonna know exactly what Mary he's talking about. So it was a big deal. And we're gonna get to that in chapter 12. But I just think it's funny, like human beings are the same. We do the same thing. When you describe someone, you tell, you know, the, the biggest thing that you would know about them so that everybody knows who you're talking about, right? And so it is this certain family. And then I love how he describes Lazarus or how she describes her brother in the message. She says, Jesus, the one you love is ill, the one you love. You know what I love about that? They knew Jesus loved them. Do you? They knew it. They were absolutely confident in it. So much, she used it in the description. They had spent time with him. They knew him. They had interacted. They were completely confident in that relationship so much that in the description, she actually uses that, the one you love. And with that, you kind of have an assumption, wouldn't you? Well, if you love him, and you know he is sick, then you will what? Heal him. I sat around, I thought about that. I, like, I'm not even gonna get in the depths of it yet, but I sat about, around about that thinking as a parent-child relationship. 
right? And how two people can view what love is and what the act of love is and what's best for and what's not best for and how one thing, two people can see it in two totally different ways. Have you ever been there? Like with your young people, right? What you're doing, you're doing in love, but what they're receiving, they don't see as love because if you loved me, you would, right? <laughs> All of that, I'm just gonna leave that open-ended for you. But isn't that a complicated, but here you have this assumption, this confidence. The one you love is sick. And what I hear in that description is, if he knows, and I do have a question, well, did he not know? Did he have to be informed? He seems to know all kinds of other things. Did he not know that Lazarus was sick? I mean, you could go there for days too, which I did. But there's an assumption, you know, that if you love, you will surely heal. I also had the thought of, um, isn't it interesting? The fact is he did love, and we're gonna see that because John even says it in verse five, all right? He absolutely loves Lazarus, but yet Lazarus is sick. So is it possible that those that God truly loves will suffer? Yeah. Can I just tell you how many bad things are said to people who suffer? How many statements are made to people who suffer? There are people who think, if I'm suffering, I must have done something wrong. God must not be happy with me. It must be a punishment. Why am I suffering? Because surely obedience leads to blessing. What does that mean? Is blessing comfort? Is blessing lack of suffering? Because I don't see that with the people in the scripture that were obedient to God, that followed after God. So we have to address some of these thoughts that come in our mind. And can I say, be very careful what you say to people who are in pain. Because the fact is, he did love, and they did assume that because he loved and there was an illness, there would also be a healing. But we also know that he did love them and there was an illness. There was suffering. And how does that work? And all of that can be complicated. And if you remember uh, I told you that story about how I had a bad 4th of July and my generators got stolen. Do you remember that? And I went out and played golf with the guy. What was the first thing he had a problem with? He didn't understand how bad things could happen to good people. How good people, that if God is love, if he loves them, how he could allow suffering. And yet, you see it all through the pages of scripture. And I had to go into being in suffering myself, and to reconvince myself, this is a fallen world. It's broken. Things are off kilter. Uh, and this is not God's world. It's the enemy's world for now. And how often do we blame God? I read something the other day. I thought it was so good. Um, you can tell I'm off the rails. I don't know. Uh, just the Holy Spirit's <laughs> telling me to say this stuff. So uh, when I walk away from my notes, you know, right? Um, the other day I was reading something, I was thinking, wow, you know, the blame that we put on God, the, um, it's really not fair because it is like, I think the example I read, it's like an artist that creates this amazing masterpiece. Um, you can think of Van Gogh or Picasso or anyone else, I'm not an art guru, uh, that creates this. 
and let's say it is in some gallery and someone breaks in and they take it and they throw red paint on it and they slash it and they mess it up. And then later on, when it's presented, the one who was the artist gets blamed for the present look. I mean, it's like that. It got broken because of sin. And red paint got thrown on it and it got slashed up and it's not what it was created to be. And because we did that, we have no right really to then go back and blame the one who created the masterpiece in the first place. And so I I just thought, wow, what a great illustration to think about that. The fact is we live in a fallen world that has suffering, that has pain, and that has death. And one of the biggest problems in the United States of America is we've been so comfortable. We have been so comfortable that in many ways we've Americanized the gospel. And we've created this equation that we think should work. And the fact is, there will be suffering. There will be pain. And to be quite honest, most growth, most change comes from those kinds of events. Um, That's just a little 411. And I'm going to tell you, it is the topic of the day. Because the other day I was out uh, looking at a car because gas, y'all. Well, let's not even go there, okay? But I was doing a test drive, and it's amazing. I have divine appointments when I'm doing things like this. It, it is amazing the questions I get asked the minute they know what I do, and you have all these divine appointments. And that was one of the things um, that we talked about is just the United States and comfort and a lack of suffering and where are we headed and what's going to happen. And you just have these amazing opportunities to talk through some of this stuff. Um, Really interesting. Verse five verifies that Jesus loved Lazarus. Verse five, John verifies that he loves not only Lazarus, but he also loves who else? Mary and Martha as well. Each one of them, unique and their unique life, and their unique story, and their unique pain. Remember, events like this don't just happen and affect one person. It affects a lot of people, and it affects a lot of people in very different ways. I look at when we lost uh, Zachary. You know, it's not just my pain as the mother, but it is Hillary's pain. It's Doug's pain. It's my parents' pain. Every person puts that in their story, in their unique situation, to endure it, to understand it, to feel it. It's unique. And the fact is, not only did he love Lazarus, who is sick, but he he loves Mary, and he loves Martha, and he loves everyone in the situation, personally, in a unique way. Well, in verse four, it says, when Jesus heard this, it says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Now, this is that incident incident where we know the outcome, okay? Erase it from your mind like you don't know the outcome because I don't know if you're like me, but when I read this, 
I immediately in my mind say to myself, oh yeah, it's not going to lead to death because he's going to raise him from the dead. But what if you didn't know that? And you just read this. The disciples literally hear, hey, this illness, he ain't going to die. He's not going to die. This illness will be for the glory of God so that the son might be glorified through it. Hmm. I think it's interesting if you study the time of it all, because if you look at many commentaries that talk about the time, that it probably took one day to get there for the messenger, he waited two days, it would probably take a day back. Literally, if you look at it, many believe that by the time the messenger got to Jesus, Lazarus was already dead. And yet he makes this statement. Um, We also know from this that Jesus knows the outcome and he knows the purpose of it. He says, it is for the glory of the Father and the Son. But I cannot help but wonder, as he waited those two days, what was he thinking? What was he feeling? Because he knows. He knows the agony that is going on in Bethany. And we know that he loves them. We know it. And then it gets even crazier. Look at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And in my Bible, I have a big old circle around the next word. So, are you kidding me? This is crazy. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place with the disciples. Hmm. He loved them, so he remained two more days. Does that make sense to you? He loved them, but he didn't go. He loved them, yet he let them suffer through the death of their brother, through the illness and the death of their brother. Hmm. Yet somehow, based on this verse, we see that the motive behind the delay was love. Wonder if Mary and Martha felt that. This is a hard story. Don't read it over quickly. Because there seems to be a contradiction here all through these pages that makes you want to scratch your head. The first one we see clearly is he loved them so he didn't go. Okay. Look at the next verses. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? And he answered, aren't there 12 hours in a day? I think this is so interesting. So after two days, he now turns to the disciples and he says, okay, now let's go back to Judea. What would you be thinking? What in the world? If there was a shot at us going back to Judea, when would that have been? Two days ago, when you heard that your BFF was sick. But you literally said to us, what? This does not end in death, but the Father and Son will be glorified through it. Okay, so you waited two days. What are they thinking? Well, I mean, he could heal from a distance. Hadn't he done that before? But now, two days after he stayed, he randomly turns to them now. 
Okay, now it's time for us to go to Judea. And they're like, what is happening? Can you imagine these young men? What is going on? They're always trying to figure it out. Okay, they're no different than us. We're always trying to figure it out too. What is he doing? What does he want? What is he up to? Am I the only one? Y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. And I am, so just know it. But I can just picture them talking about it and then sending Peter out. You ask him. You talk to him, right? And so, and Peter goes, excuse me. Do you remember what that atmosphere was like last time we were in it? We nearly got killed. Do you understand? So now you have this whole row of like, what is Jesus' knowledge like? So they literally think that he can say, this illness does not end in death. I know the outcome and I know the purpose, but somehow along the way, I've forgotten the atmosphere in Judea. Like I've forgotten they wanted to kill me. I just think hanging with Jesus, it's hard, isn't it? Trying to figure it out. And so they're trying to dissuade him from going and I think it's hilarious. They're like, why in the world would he choose to go back now? So he tells them in verse 9 through 10, why? He says, basically, Hawk Power version, because it's still the light of day and we have work to do. Although the hour is close, Jesus still has stuff that he has to do, stuff remaining, stuff that is necessary. And remember, he said, this is <clears throat> to fulfill a purpose. And what was the purpose? That God would be glorified and that the son would be glorified through it. How is the son gonna be glorified through it? Well, many ways, okay, the, the scene itself. But this scene is going to usher in the hour. And the hour is when he will be lifted up he will be glorified. He will die for sin, and three days later, he will be raised again. You know what I, I think is so, and by the way, we too have works to do. We have things that need to be done, things that are necessary. I sit back and I think, how did he do that? He knows the hour is near. What would you be like if you knew the hour was near? Do you ever let future worry mess up your present? Like get you stuck? How often do you spend time of, uh, you know, regretting the past and worrying about the future? It seemed that he didn't do that. He lived every moment in full trust of the will of his father. Every moment. I cannot imagine that. He still has things to do, and he knows that everything he does is necessary, and everything that he does leads to the hour, the cross. That is what he came to do. And I'm just telling you how often I feel I'm done. I'm done. And then you realize, no, you're not done. There's still light in this day. You still have days to live, and you have a job to do. So girl, you feel it, you get it, and then you pick your butt up and you do what you're called to do. And it's so weird that even on the days where I feel the worst, I have to go on a test drive or I go play golf or I go somewhere and people just need to get in my business. And out comes 
the truth of what you know and what you believe, even though you don't feel it. We have a job to do. There is no retirement. You have good works to do, and you need to do it while there is light of day, which means what? While there's still breath in your lungs, and we're done when we're dead, right? And he's like, no, the hour is coming. I have come to die for sin. I'm not avoiding death. I'm just gonna lay down my life at the appropriate time. And these things need to be done. He says to them, (laughs) and I think it's so funny that the disciples get a hard time for this because he uses this euphemism of that Lazarus has fallen asleep, right? And they say, oh, well, if he's sleeping, good for him. He doesn't feel good. He needs to rest. He'll recover, right? And we just judge them. Like they should have known because that was a natural uh, verbiage that they used to fall asleep. And I think it's awesome that Jesus used it because Jesus doesn't look at death like we look at death, the finality of it. No, he is the resurrection and the life. To him, death is like falling asleep. You just jostle them and they wake up. I mean, he is life, right? But he uses this and they don't understand it. Why don't they understand it? What has he previously just said? This will not end in death. (laughs) And now he says, we must go to Judea two days later because he has fallen asleep. Well, if he's asleep, he'll get, no, he's dead. Are you confused? There are two things in here that baffle me. And I just think it's real life. These are the things, we are baffled. There are things to us that do not make sense. They don't go. There are two things. One, that makes you scratch your head. He loved them. So he remained for two days. Okay, that makes sense. This will not end in death. He's dead. We got to go to Judea. (laughs) And you sit back and you're like, what in the world is going on? I I think I have a quote here that I need to read. Um, oh, you know who else doesn't know all this? Don't forget about them. They're in Bethany. Who is it? Mary and Martha, which leads to the second baffling thing. He loved them and remained for two more days. Do you, do you think they felt like he loved them? All of this is supposedly for the glory of the father and son, but are Mary and Martha just pawns then? Is that it? Not if you believe that Jesus loved them, like everyone in the story said. Are God's glory and his love in conflict? Think about that. This illness will not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that through it, the son might be glorified. He loves them, but he didn't go. How are they feeling? Not very loved. So, Are they just pawns? They don't matter because what matters is the glory of God. Is the glory of God bigger than the love of God for you? Is the glory of God and the love of God in conflict? I don't believe so. Have I ever felt like that? Yes. And some of you are like, this doesn't make sense. Well, it may not, but it does to me. And I think as you think through this stuff, these are the deep questions and the deep thoughts you need to really have. 
Don't read through it and just go, oh, okay, I'm just going to take it at face value. No, put yourself in it. How does it feel to Mary and Martha? If those things aren't baffling enough, then we get to verse 15 that says this. For your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you might believe. So now he says, oh, I'm glad. Now they don't know what's coming, right? I love them, so I stayed two days. I told you he wasn't gonna die. He died. But I'm glad. I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm glad he died for you. What? Because so that you might believe. There are all kinds of things going on here. There are truths and there are emotions and there are people's lives. This is difficult stuff if you think about putting yourself in their shoes. And then comes Thomas in verse 16. Let's look at this. He said, I'm glad I was there so that you might believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. <laughs> Y'all are like, I don't know why she's laughing at that. Okay, first off, poor Thomas. Okay, and I, I wrote my notes, tone. It would be really nice to know the tone of this statement, right? Okay. Well, come on, we're just going to go die with him. <laughs> or, you know, I mean, I would have loved to have known. And the thing is, Thomas is, he's given such a bad rap. Because what is he known for later? He's doubting Thomas. Oh, I got to lay my eyes on those scars. I got to touch your side, you know, for me to believe. Why? I'll tell you why. Because Thomas is a five on the Enneagram. He's logical. He show me the facts guy. But man, is he given a bad rap because knowing in his logical mind, the facts are, if Jesus goes back, he gonna die. This man has incredible courage and faith. I don't view him as just, oh, wimpy, doubting Thomas that had no faith. No, he had great faith. He had great courage. He was just logical. He, just like a lot of us, he needed to, I mean, how else were you going to interpret what you were seeing? He knew for a fact if they went back there, it was going to be bad, and more than likely, they were going to die, and he was willing to go with him. And I think it is so interesting that he's known as a twin. Now, if you research that, you're going to get into all kinds of stuff, and you can get in it if you want, all right? There are some people who believe that Thomas was Jesus' twin. I said, huh, for unto us some twins were born unto us. Like, what is that? And then I was like, oh, okay, well, that's a twist on Jacob and Esau, you know? Oh, that's interesting. Or some people even write that maybe he was just this, like, doppelganger, that he just was the one who looked the most like Jesus. And so by being in that area, he was the most at danger. Like, he was, you know, the king's duplicate or something. Um, listen, I don't know about all that jazz, but what I find interesting is that I think he's the twin to all of us. I think he's our twin. Because I think, how often do we look at the circumstances and really there's no other way to look at the situation? Logically, this ain't good. I'm in a dilemma. I have a circumstance that's bad. 
I don't see any other way. This is going to work out. So, okay, God, I'm going to die. And we forget who we're talking about. We forget it's not all about logic. We have a God. All things are possible, right? He doesn't see things the way we see things. Our obstacles are not his obstacles. The problem is we don't know what he's going to do and when he's going to do sometimes, and that brings faith. But I don't, I don't uh, rag on Thomas. I don't think that he was this man that just doubted everything. I think he was a logical man that experienced doubt. Have you? I think he's my twin. It's very interesting. I've pretty much taught you nothing today. I've just done nothing but make you think of all kinds of different questions. So that's fun. All right, now let's get to the section with Martha. Verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Mm. This is an intense scene. Mary went and Martha, Martha went and Mary remained in this situation. Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know whatever you ask from God, he will give to you. Now, what did I tell you we have to do with this scene? We have to wipe out what we know is about to happen. And that is really hard, but you have to, to put yourself in this situation. She has no idea what is in Jesus's mind to do with Lazarus, nor does she even think it is a remote possibility. And so she is literally coming in her grief and she's like, why? Why? Why weren't you here? Why? What? You loved him. Why? If you had been here, if only you had been here, he would have been healed. I wonder too, and I'm gonna talk about the whys later, but I wonder too, if she had the all kinds of whys. Why did you not come? Why were you not here? What were you thinking? What could I have done different? Is it me? Is it something? Why didn't we send for him earlier? We should have sent for him seven days ago when he, was, when he just became ill. We should have sent for Jesus, right? Why didn't I do that? Why didn't I send for him? She has all of these whys all of this pain, all of this suffering. If only you had been here, you could have done something about it. And he looks at her and he says, your brother will rise again. What does she say? I know. I know that he's gonna rise again, the resurrection of the last day. She believes it. She does. She believes it. She knows that. Listen, I know where my son is. 
I know the hope of the future. I know it. I know he will rise again on the last day. You think that stops the pain? Now listen, I can't imagine the pain not knowing that. But it brings relief. It brings hope. It brings being able to live through it. But man, grief blinds you. It hurts you. It makes you not see. So she goes, I know. I mean, her statements are amazing. This woman is strong. I know he will rise again on the last day. I'm not losing my hope. I'm just saying if you'd have been here, if you'd have done something. And then he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Listen. He's been saying this all through the book of John. If you go back to John 6, 39 through 40, he basically says this. He who believes in me will never die. He has said, if you eat my blood and drink my, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, those who believe in me, who are in me will never see death. I mean, he's been saying this all along. So the fact is, does she believe that he is who he says he is, that he is the Christ, that he is the son of God, that he is the judge of Daniel chapter seven. Does she believe that he is the one that will raise them up on the last day? Does she believe that about Jesus? Yes, she does. Listen, look at what she says. I believe you are the Christ, the son of God who has come into the world. She is saying, no, I do. I'm saying if you'd have been here, he would have been healed. But even now, I know he's gonna be raised on the last day. I know you are who you say you are. I know you are the son of God. I know you will raise him up. I believe in you. It reminds me of the place that I had to come to where I was like, I am in an agony. I cannot escape, but I have a faith that I cannot deny. I know where she is. Why weren't you here? Why did you let this happen? How did this happen? How could I have changed it? What, what could have happened? Yes, I know he'll be raised up on the last day. And yes, I believe you are who you say you are. And I believe you're gonna do what you say you're gonna do. But I'm in agony. She has no idea that Jesus is gonna raise her brother from the dead. No idea. That great I am statement. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus does not have life. We have life. If you have something, you can lose it. He doesn't have it and then just give it. He is it. He is life. I am life. If I can do it on the last day, I can do it now. This also shows that no one can take Jesus' life. It's not something he has. It's something he is. I am the resurrection and the life. Nobody will take his life. There will become an hour where he will lay it down, and then he will what? Take it back up again. He is life. 
And when we are in Christ Jesus, we have, we've been given that life. He lives, we live. He is life, whether it is the last day or this moment right now. And that's what he's about to show them. He is literally about to show them the greatest of all the signs is that he is life. He can do what he says he's going to do because he's going to show them right now when he lifts up flesh that is already decomposing. If he can do it in four days, he can do it in 4,000 years. He can do it in 40,000. He is the resurrection and the life. Oh, so good. And then comes Mary, right? Then Mary. By the way, does Martha fully understand? No. Do you? No. Do I fully understand? No. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, but I believe. And so does Martha. It says in verse 28, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and in his spirit, in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind man? Also have kept this man from dying. Man, this is some good stuff. The next section is Mary. Isn't it interesting how one event, different people respond different, differently in their pain? I mean, think about that. You handle grief how you handle grief. There's no rhyme or reason to it. You just handle it. Each person or pain or suffering, whatever it is, doesn't mean you have to lose a child to understand what I'm talking about with grief. You may have lost a dream. You may have lost a marriage. You may have lost all kinds of things, whatever, a business. You've been through pain and suffering and grief. Each person handles it uniquely and differently. You're not gonna handle it like me. I don't handle it like my friend Jackie Wagner. We don't handle it like Mary Landreth. We don't handle it like all, all kinds of people that are in our club. It is unique. And you saw Mar Martha show up. Look at Mary. It is a little different. I think it's different in some reasons, and some of you will uh, understand. Martha's the oldest. Martha is the oldest. We know this because the responsibility fell on Martha. We know this from their, uh, their story about the two of them together. Who's working? Martha. Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. Martha's working because the responsibility falls on Martha. We don't hear about parents. Martha runs the show. She gets everything done. She has all the responsibility. Um, she's always the hostess. Even now, with all the funeral stuff that's happening, guess who the responsibility falls on? Martha. She seems strong. 
We don't see her falling down at his feet. She comes and approaches him. She's in grief. If only you had been there. She has this conversation. She has a great strength to her. She has a great faith to her. I think it's because Martha can't afford to fall apart. If Martha falls apart, what's going to happen to the rest of them? Right? Have you ever been there? Some of you are like, I am that firstborn. I am that person that took care of everybody else. I am that person that had to keep going in pain because if I didn't keep going in pain, what was going to happen? You can relate to that. Mary, who I think is the baby, had the freedom. She had the freedom to feel and to express, and it's very interesting. I think it's interesting that um, the people are with Mary, and the people around, if you see, are consoling Mary, the baby, and that when she left in a hurry, they what? They went with Mary. They let Martha go out on her own. I think it's interesting. I just think in this, you see the uniqueness of pain and grief and how different people are and how they respond and what they need. And I could not help but think about Hillary and I in that time. We're honestly both people. I see elements of both of those women in us when we dealt with our pain. Um, in one sense, you know, I as a mom uh, was completely devastated and Hillary was trying to be strong for her mother who lost her child. But yet Hillary lost her brother. And some of the responsibility that got put on Hillary that I can never share um, was unfair because she was not allowed to be the younger and to grieve and to have a parent supporting her, she became strong, which takes it inside. But then on the other hand too, you saw everyone rally around the mom and everybody was there and everybody was there and everybody was there and that was good for me, but it wasn't the greatest for Hillary because young people don't know what to do and it was my house and everybody was there and then I had to realize that, hold up, wait a minute, I gotta, get, I gotta get a grip because she just needs me and everybody else gotta go. And you have to transition. And all this, you're trying to figure out in the worst possible pain that you can ever imagine. And I just see all of this going on and the uniqueness of what is going on. But there is one thing that is the same. Throughout this entire story, the question of why, why, why has come up through this whole thing. Why in the world would we go back to Judea? We are gonna die. Why were you not here? If you had been here, my brother would have lived, Martha. Mary, why? She's down on the ground. She is sobbing. She is uncontrollable. There are people sobbing around her from professional mourners to the closest of friends. It is a, a ball fest. Why? Why did you let it happen? And I'm telling you, I understand that. You've heard my rant before of what all I went through. Why? Why were you not here? Why did you let this happen? How could this be? Okay, I promise this, I promise that. Why, why, why? If you get lost in the whys, you will drown. 
you will drown. I have literally killed myself swimming through the whys. Why did this happen? Why did we let him play football? Why didn't we get our crap together? Why didn't I get him help sooner? Why didn't I do herbs? Why didn't I do light therapy? Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I understand? Why didn't I lock him in a room? Why didn't I, I mean, why, why, why? And then you logically say, it doesn't matter. He had a disease, Shannon. He, it was mercy. You know, but you go, why, why, why this? Why would you? What could I have changed? What could I have done? And then you realize, ooh, you're gonna die in the wise. You've got to change the question. And so you have to stop asking why and you have to ask the question, okay, I'm never gonna understand this. Then for what end? That's the question. Then if I'm, never, if I'm not gonna understand the why, in this story, it's brilliant because we get to see the whole completion of the story. I don't get to see that yet. I don't believe, I do believe that when I see the completion of the story, I'm going to understand, but I don't. And so I have to ask the question, okay, then to what end? What are you going to use it for? Where do we go from here? How in the world could it be used for good and for your glory? It's a different question. And so I think it is our natural tendency to ask why, but I don't think <laughs> it is gonna be within our grasp to receive the answer to all the whys. Jesus' words and actions seem so confusing in this story when viewed through the pain and emotion of what seems to be contradictory. It says here that Jesus was deeply moved and he was greatly troubled. It literally is the word for anger. And I'm gonna look, we're gonna look at that because I'm running out of time. I wish I could finish that up. It is the picture of the snort of a horse in battle or in a race. Very interesting. And I'm gonna show you why next week. I wanna show you all the feeling that he was feeling at that moment, all of it coming out, and he weeps. Um, I find it interesting, uh, the fact that I want you to recognize a couple of things when you read through it for next week. I want you to recognize how interesting it is. There's two places. One is in this chapter, and one is at, I think, the very beginning of the next, maybe, or it might still be in this chapter. How in the world can two groups of people see one thing, and come away with such different conclusions. There's one where it says Jesus wept, and one of the group says, oh, see, he so loved him. And the other group goes, well, if he loved him, you would think that the man that could heal the man born blind would have been there and would have healed his friend, right? They literally watch a corpse that was already rotting come out of the grave. Two groups of people. One believed, and the other went and tattled, causing the next events. I'm telling you, mindset is something. 
We can see one thing in a person and we can determine their motives, what we think. One person says, oh, he loved Lazarus and the next person goes, well, he didn't love him too much or he woulda, shoulda, coulda. I mean, is this humanity right there? Do you have a positive mindset or a negative mindset? When you look at someone, do you give them the benefit of the doubt? Do you view it in the positive? Or do you immediately go to find that thing that is negative? He is weeping, the Son of God. All the emotion coming up in him. And they determine his motive. So interesting to me. There's a lot more in this chapter, and we'll finish it next week. Actually, my favorite part is yet to come that affected me personally the most. Um, But go back through this chapter and read, and read it fresh. Put yourself in the pages. Struggle with your life with this story. The questions you have, the bitterness you have, the emotions you have. Um, Spend time with Jesus dealing with those things. Do you feel like his words and his actions don't match the fact that he loves you? Why do you feel that way? Like this is a great chapter to use, to go inward deep, to journal with, and to think through some of those deep things, I personally believe. All right, we'll come back next week and we'll talk about the stone rolling away. Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you for just a time, uh, not for a sermon, and question and be vulnerable and open up through the pages of this scripture. Lord, this is how I picture the synagogue, sitting down, reading through the scripture, discussing how it can apply, what it means, how we let it work in our lives to come in deep, to change us, how it helps us create questions we didn't even know we had but are down there in the surface of our doubt. Lord, I pray that we won't be scared to let those questions come up, that we won't be scared to wrestle. Because, Lord, as we wrestle, we're still spending time with you. We're holding on to you. We're saying we don't understand why. If you had been there, our brother would have lived. But what we are saying is even now, I believe you are who you say you are. All of it, all of it. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe every word that comes out of your mouth, I believe you will do everything you have promised to do. And even in the pain and the suffering and the rub and the doubt and the questions, I'm gonna hold on to that, Lord. I'm gonna hold on to that. Let us work to let go of the wise and let us reach out for the question, okay, then God, use it then God, for what end? We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Mary Shannon Bible Study. Be sure to subscribe. Shannon also hosts the hilarious and heartfelt Mary Shannon's Table podcast, where along with friends, they chat about life, faith, and leadership. Check out the show now and subscribe. If you wanna connect with Mary Shannon, go to Instagram at itsmaryshannon or visit itsmaryshannon.com.